Hello everyone and welcome to the show. My guest today is Dean Kirkywhite. Dean is the Executive Director of the Mustard Seed of Edmonton. The Mustard Seed is an organization which aims to eliminate homelessness and reduce poverty. I learned a ton from Dean and overall it was a great conversation. Everyone please enjoy the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess for people who don't know you, you are the executive director of the Muslim Seed of Edmonton. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. That's correct. And before that, I think I, I was doing a bit of research. You were a pastor at one point. I was a pastor in St. Albert, yeah, for about 16 years. Yeah. How did you manage to become a pastor and then how did you translate from going pastor to become the executive director? Yeah, sure. So, um, the pastor thing was probably a little unorthodox in how I did that. I actually went to the UA and got a Bachelor of Education. Okay. Uh, taught for a couple of years. Um, when I was about 16, my parents asked me, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I gave them three professions, and one of them included pastor, and another one was teacher, and the third one was politician. And they said to me, um, you know, why don't you go get an education degree, um, and then go get a master's in theology if you really want to pursue the pastor thing. And so... They said, don't don't just go from high school into uh, a theology uh, track. They yeah. said, if you end up not liking um, that after a while, you're, you're kind of locked in. Yeah. So that's what I did. And um, again, taught for a couple of years, taught in Rocky Mountain House, moved uh, here. Uh, my wife um, was in school. We got married, and she was still at the UBA, so I had to be in Edmonton. I uh, did a couple of jobs for a bit and was attending a church, and then that church. I uh, was looking for uh, an assistant pastor to look after basically the young adults and a few other things. And they asked me if I was interested, and I was. I was actually on the board at the time. And so um, I had to become licensed or accredited within a denomination, which I went through. So it's, it's very uncommon for someone to not go to Bible school first and then become uh, licensed with a denomination. In this case, I decided I, I kind of went the traditional level mm-hmm. licensed. I uh, did that for. 16 years, six and a half years at the first church, and I started a church in St. Albert uh, called Next Christian Community. It was there for close to 11, about 10 and a half years. And um, then left there to uh, join Mustard Seed. Um, at the time, as managing director, now as executive director. So that's about five years ago. Uh, the, the transition point, I, after I'd been at Next for 10 years, I, I kind of felt like I'd done everything I was supposed to do there. The, the church was in a healthy spot. It was in a good spot. Um, it had been 10 years and wasn't necessarily looking that hard, but thought if I'm going to leave, I either leave now or I'm, I'm here for the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of, and I was young. Um, 
ish. <laughs> 40, 41, 42. We're still young. We're still young. Yeah. I'm not sure I am. And so they, at each point, first year, second year, mm-hmm. for the rest of my career, or did I want to push myself yeah. for the next 10 to 20? So I actually got, we were moving, and um, there's boxes everywhere, and the house is a mess, and we're in the middle of chaos. And I get an email from my boss, the CEO of the Mustard Seed, we're in five cities, so he sees all five cities. And um, the, the email was, I was speaking to a gentleman, and it's a mutual uh, colleague, and asking him if he had any recommendations for a leader in Edmonton, are you interested in applying? And I know a lot about the mustard seed. I volunteered there, give the money there. Um, I've been engaged with it for years. And so I said to my wife, hey, I just got this email, what do you want me to do? And she looked around boxes and our chaos and our kids and all this dogs and all this stuff going on. She said to me, I don't give a damn what to do. <laughs> yeah. I said, my life is in chaos. Our life is in chaos. Figure out your career and let me know. Yeah. I said, okay. And uh, within three weeks, I resigned my church and taken the job. Once so it just happened really, really quick. Really quick. And yeah. obviously, it happened quick. It must have been almost the right decision because it did like almost feel it, I guess, intrinsically, intrinsically right. Because yeah. it seems like you were, as you mentioned, kind of un- unconventional way of getting, becoming a pastor. Most yeah. pastors are most likely probably in that domination growing up. They go to Bible college yeah. and then become pastor. And did, was it the more, more so maybe the, the giving and the act of service that kind of attracted you to the mustard seed and that's why it was the right decision? Or? Yeah, so like even, I mean, it, it goes back a little bit farther to that. The, um, the church that I founded as the founding pastor, I mean, I get with other people, but that's usually the terms we use. They. Um, one of the things that we really decided was that um, the church needs to be for the community. Um, the church doesn't exist for itself. And so with that, we became a bit of an outlier within our denomination yeah. in that um, social justice was key to everything we did. Yeah. It was at the core of everything we did. And most churches are engaged in social justice to some degree, but a lot of them, it's, it's a program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a thing they do. It's not part of who they are. Yeah. For us, it was part of who we were. And so um, it was my, my, we didn't call him this, but it's my bishop that actually recommended me to the mustard seed, knowing that that was part of our DNA. And so for me, um, that feeling of social justice and um, being a place, um, being part of something that is a justice mm-hmm. uh, was really compelling. Um, there is, you know, and I, I, people don't get this, I got it, where skill set, experience, passion, um, what you believe um, I should be doing, yeah. um, all of that kind of all lined up into one sort of job description for that matter, all lined up into one sort of place. And most people don't get that experience. No, very rare. Very rare, I got it. And so in, um, in the spiritual world, we call that calling. Yeah. Um, I've been around the church world and Christian organizations enough to know that um, when people use the word calling, they sometimes <laughs> use it at the right because they still don't get all that. 100%. Right? Um, I'm call it a, calling being blessed. Um, some people would say it's fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a spiritual person, for me, it's it's a combination of, of of knowing that this was what I was supposed to do, and being blessed that I was chosen to do it. Mm-hmm. 
and not everybody gets that. Oh, no, definitely. You were in your past role, which is also a great career. Uh, yeah. Nothing wrong with that, but you mentioned don't want to be stuck in a position that I may be complacent in versus having a position where I'm like, it's more active, where I'm kind of growing a bit. So it's the same thing. Some people take a job and 30 years later, still have a job because they never either receive something or another, nothing comes across the table. So again, you're, you are, it's very rare that people have the passion, the calling, and that everything lines up that makes sense to do something, so. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it was, it was a risk. Um, I, I went from a place that was very safe for me, uh, career-wise, mm-hmm. and the church was good to me. It was a great church. It still is a good church, and um, um, there's a lot of safety in that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, any pastor is you know three sermons away from being fired. Um, we all know that. You know, yeah, you say the wrong things three weeks in a row, you're done, kind of thing. But the reality is, is that I, I knew that I could be there for a long, long mm-hmm. time, probably the rest of my career. Um, I I wasn't interested in safety anymore. Yeah. Uh, it was a risk to start a church. Um, and then the second risk to take this on and say I'm I'm ready for something more and, and I need to grow um, in my career. So yeah, that's beautiful. And something about the must to them, at least for me personally, and I guess my point of view, I think most most people in Edmonton or most people in Canada who've heard mustard seed, they mainly at least what I heard mustard seed. I know it dealt with homelessness and people who are homeless, mm-hmm. and I knew it provided meals and then and some shelter, but that was the extent of my knowledge. But upon researching, that mustard seed does so much for the people who are in dire need of just everything, not just housing and food, but either having group activities for mental health or some spiritual spiritualness or spiritual guide and even housing for people to get back on their feet and get a career. Yeah, we would say we're. Um a stool with three legs on it, um, basic or essential services, which is the thing we're kind of known for. So that's food, clothing, shelter, it's all those things. Then support services, which are the um, programs that really help people get out of needing basic services. So that's things like advocacy, it's uh, employment, it's, it's those kinds of work that says to someone, you know, you've been in this bad spot, let's help you get out of this bad spot. Mm-hmm to get to a place of independence. Uh, the third leg is, of course, housing, because you need a place to live. And so how do we provide housing for folks um, and or work with landlords to get people housed, that kind of thing. And then something that runs along parallel to that is our spiritual programming. You know, we are a Christian organization. Um, and so people are um, invited or can choose to participate in our spiritual programming, and some do, many don't. And that's okay, and that's the reason why we're using the parallel um, rather than integrated in. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. And in regards to today, you mentioned, because I read also there's many factors that someone could become homeless. It's not just, you know, bad decisions. You know, some people obviously make bad decisions and they feel this, but even especially right, right now with COVID-19, regardless of how people feel about it, obviously there's certain rules in place now that either certain, uh, certain uh, I think, uh, industries are able to work or limited work. And because of that, people have no control over that. And I, I personally was, uh, did uh, work in the financial industry for a bit previous to having a podcast and the stats are about 95% of people aren't going to make it to retirement. And now looking at this, something that no one have control and there's some people who may, again, took the risk to start a business, do something that they loved and then now 
this could lead to home, more homelessness. Do you see that trend? Do you see? Did you see? That oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So when we opened up our temporary shelter at the Kinsman Center, for those that don't know Edmonton, it's a large rec center in the heart of uh, Edmonton, mm-hmm. and uh, we took over the the gym portion of that and provided a 180 mat shelter there when COVID first hit. So around end of March. So the first thing you said. Yeah, wow. yeah. So we opened that up right at kind of the end of March and continued that on until um, July 7th. Or July 6th. And so, and we did that. The government asked us to do that, knowing that more people needed a place to go. Yeah. And so we started asking the question were you homeless prior to COVID? And 86% of our people said, yeah. But that means 14% said, no. So that means there's 14% more people out there that are now homeless. And that was at the beginning. Like, I mean, those stats fluctuated and changed, but that's still the number I'm using because it's usually the most accurate number um, until we actually dig deeper into the data. Um, now, there's two things that are going to happen this fall that are going to increase it even more. Um, CERB is going to run out. And so um, as soon as the federal government pulls CERB, what happens then? And the second thing is rent protection. So the province has put a stipulation that you can't evict somebody due to lack of rent. Well, eventually that's going to run out too. So it's going to create more um, people that are going to need our care. And, you know, we've we've discovered if uh, folks that uh, hit their streets that are looking for a place to live or a job, whatever the case may be, if we can help them immediately, um, we tend to be able to help them get back to a life of independence pretty quick. Um, but you can get institutionalized to the outside. You can get institutionalized homelessness. Yeah. And so we got to make sure that we're diligent and uh, work quickly to help these folks that are unfortunately going to end up either with us or Bissell or Blow or whatever the case may be and uh, ensure that we um, get them back to independence just as fast as we can. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. And I think you hit a critical point there is make sure to try to get to them, or at least if they search for one of your services of Bissell as yeah. soon as possible, because as I mentioned, you can become accustomed to the streets like anything. And I know, I think it's more so like in the States, at least you, you see more Aussie video and more news about the States. And you know, like in certain places, I think in California or San Francisco, they have communities of homeless people, people just have tents in large communities. And yeah. like you mentioned, so then you can get accustomed, then that becomes your new normal. And then you probably, but just some of those people don't even consider having home again and they don't think it's possible. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like we, um, I, I tell a story on occasion. Uh, it's not a mustard seed story, but it is a Canadian um, story of, uh, of a gentleman. And, and I know a guy who knows him, so it's, it's legit. And uh, he'd been homeless for years. Uh, they find him an apartment and they put him on like the sixth story of the apartment building. He spent the first month sleeping on the patio, which is not untypical. You sleep outside for years, suddenly to sleep inside is difficult. Mm-hmm. So he sleeps on, on this patio and uh, eventually he moves inside. And uh, one day, um, as the property manager is walking around, this individual threw all of his bedding off of the balcony and nearly, you know, kind of hit the guy. And it was like, well, whatever. And so they, they brought up the bedding, knocked on the door, here's your bedding, please don't throw stuff off the balcony anymore. That's not allowed. The guy says, okay. A month later, um, again, a couple of staff were walking outside and the guy takes a mattress and he throws a mattress off his balcony. Nearly hits him. 
and now now we're moving to danger, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, what's coming off next, right? So they have a little meeting before they go upstairs, and they say, you know, why did you, you know, what, what are we going to do here? And it was the usual list. Well, do we evict them? Uh, do we put them on the first floor so they can't throw anything off? Uh, you know, do we make them live with somebody else? Yeah. You know, like there's all the list, right? A lot of usual things. So eventually they said, maybe we should go up there and ask him why he's throwing things off about the you know, it's probably where you should start. Yeah. So they go up and they knock on the door and he answers the door and they're like, hey, why do you keep throwing stuff off your balcony? And the guy looks at them and he says, two words, you came. See, the only time anybody had visited him since he had moved in was the first time he threw something off. The second time he got a visitor was the second time he threw something off. Oh. He was lonely. Yeah. On the streets, he was in the lonely. So uh, what the organization did that my buddy was a part of was they went and got volunteers and uh, said, can you spend half an hour with them every week? And two people said, yeah. And suddenly that half an hour turned into a couple hours and suddenly what was once volunteers became friends. Whoa. And nothing ever flew off the balcony again. And so for us as an organization, um, one of the things that we're trying to figure out is we know how to do things for people and everybody loves to do things for mm-hmm. people, right? We want to give somebody a sandwich, we want to give them our shoes, we want to give them our jacket, we do something for them. But transformation happens in somebody's life when we walk alongside with them. And that's the lesson in the mattress off the balcony story. Yeah. They had done something for him, they gave him a place to live, but what he actually needed was somebody to do something with him, mm-hmm. to be in community, to be in a relationship with him. So more and more, we ask that question on our programming. What does with look like? This is great that there's a meal. Um, when you're hungry, you just need to eat. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be better if we sat down and ate with somebody? Yeah. Um, and had a conversation with them? Um, what, is that, what does that look like? How do we do that well? So those are, those are some of the things that we've done. Yeah, and I think that's, a, again, that's a, it's something I, uh, I think I never thought of. And I know many people probably don't just try to help, try to help someone with them instead of, I guess, for them. And I think that's, again, that's huge because I think, especially Canadians, we're so good when there's crises or anything terrible, we're all good at coming together and donating our resources or doing whatever, like the humble uh, bus crash that's unfortunately happened. But yeah. I think, Across Canada, everyone was just together, and again, it's important to ask what, um, even the people who are affected, either by the, like, the homelessness, how can we help you? And then, like you mentioned, sometimes people just need someone to talk to. They don't really. Yes, meals are great, and we all need to eat and have shelter. But yeah. even like uh, myself personally, um, not also not homeless, but moved into this condo by myself before the lockdown. First man, like a while, like. Just say, hey, how's it going? And you're by yourself, you're not saying anything. And it does um, get lonely and it does uh, affect, I think, your your mental stability somewhat, even if you yeah. are sane, even if you have a, a great life, because I think human interaction is what everyone needs and that's how we grow and learn. And, yeah. and do you see, because again, there's many factors to some wholeness. Do you see, you know, I guess before COVID, was it more, I guess, drug related? Because I know. I think most people, or not most people, but some people, you know, they see homeless people, it's like, get a job, and, but they don't see sometimes they can be very dependent on certain drugs or certain substances or even certain vices, whether that be alcohol or anything. And people just sit, assume mm-hmm. that could be as easy as getting a job, but some people... Well, there's a, there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing here. Yeah. So let me, um, 
Like we, we believe that the root of all um, poverty, of all homelessness, is actually broken relationship. Um, it's trauma. It is, it is not addictions, it's not mental health. And let me, let me walk through why that yeah, is. Go ahead. So, um, for me, um, if I were to end up um, destitute, um, I would not be destitute. Um, my worst case scenario, and it would be the worst case scenario for both him and I, is that I go move in with my dad. Yeah. Um, now, the chances are I would never come to that, and he wouldn't want that, and I wouldn't want that. Well, not that we don't get along, we get along great, but let's face it, 47-year-old dude moving in with his 8-year-old dad is yeah. not ideal. Yeah. But that would be the worst case scenario. Um, the reason why is because I have a relationship with him that we would all, him and I will always look after each other. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids will never end up homeless because they have me and they have my wife and I. And as long as we have a home, they have a home. And now when you look at a lot of what happens um, with some of our street folks, um, all of their relationships that should be nuclear and core and supportive are broken down. And there's a long list of reasons why I'm not gonna, and you can say, well, that's because there was this behavior in that household. Yeah. I understand that, but that, that's not why they're there. Exactly. They're reacting to that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once relationship breaks down, and once all relationship breaks down, that's how we end up in a place where somebody goes, I've got no place left to go. Now, consider yourself, um, Let's say you're kicked out of your house for whatever reason and you're kicked out because mom and dad didn't like something or because you behaved in a way they didn't appreciate or whatever the case would be and you've either left or you've been kicked out. So again, the relationship is broken down. You're 21, 22 years old and you're out there and you're trying to survive the best you can in shelters and all that kind of stuff. How long do you think until you start using some sort of substance to numb the pain? I guess also depends maybe on the severity of the broken relations, but I give myself five days. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say about a week, and, yeah. and it's, it's easy because you know drugs. Like at least initially, I know a lot of those drugs they give you that nice, nice rush of like the first hit you get, but then you're, then you're chasing it, and then yeah, chasing it. I think um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess from what you just said, I think people might be turn to these substances because they think it will be almost a solution or maybe like almost a bandy or something to either repair or forget about those broken relationships or that would that be a reason why they start doing it? Well, let me, or even let's add to it. Like yeah. if you're, if you're in pain, um, emotional pain, um, how often have we said, you know what, I just, I just need to have a good sleep and I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're on the street, you just need a good sleep. What do you do? Um, there are stats out there. I don't have a reference handy for those people that all those sort of things <laughs> that suggest that within 30 days of living on the street, you're 90% likely to have an extreme mental illness. Wow. Because again, you move from a place of security and safety to a place of survival. Mm-hmm. So everything, your decision you're making now is about where's my next meal? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Is somebody going to steal my stuff? Is somebody going to hurt me? Um, and then this this agony that I'm feeling, how do I get rid of it? Mm-hmm. Wow. So what ends up happening there, right? And so there's this theory that, well, someone's on the street because um, they're an addict, 
or they've got mental health issues? Well, first of all, um, that's no excuse for anyone to be on the street. Yeah. Um, if they're uh, if they're suffering from either one of those two things, our our level of compassion should increase, not decrease. Um, there's almost like this, uh, and, and I heard it lots, especially when um, I started in this job. It's like, well, but there's you know they're, they're kind of there because of their own stuff, right? And it's like, well, first of all, no, but second of all, so what if they are? We're all where we are because of our own stuff. Yeah. Uh, just because I keep a roof over my head doesn't mean I deserve more compassion than those that don't. Right. Those, those that aren't able to actually deserve more compassion, more sympathy. Um, you know, if, the, if there's a line between enabling and not enabling, um, not being compassionate, let's enable. Yeah. Let's do too much. Um, and again, that's my, that's my theology coming out quite a bit, um, but that's just what I believe needs to happen. And so, you know, for us, we're, we're, we're looking at our, our people and saying, um, the trauma in your life has resulted in broken relationship happening, which has resulted in you being here. Mm-hmm. So let's be overly compassionate and sensitive. Um, let's be brave enough to maybe be the first person that has ever been with this person. Um, let's not just do something for them. But let's see what happens if we choose to walk in a relationship with them. And sometimes transformation happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, it's a slow burn. But I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. I think that's what we're called to do. I think I think that's what truly helping somebody is. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's, it's again, easy. Again, well, it's not easy, but easy to just simply give, here's a hot meal, here's a bed. But having those relationships with people and just having conversation and, and most often not like I have, I have times where you know, I've chatted with someone about my financial business when I was in the financial industry more so and I was on the phone for half an hour and this person was simply telling his life story to me yeah. but then they wouldn't do, 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 do any financial business <laughs> but then I got off the phone like well I think that person just really needed to talk to someone and maybe serve people in his life who felt he couldn't but this random stranger who just asked how his day was who met him randomly on Facebook Felt like you just unload on him and yeah, and just need a friend. Yeah, and it, it's even even sometimes the most successful people are sometimes the most sometimes I guess isolated or because uh, I guess I don't know too too many successful people who are celebrities, but sometimes you know like you're at such a, such a certain status or certain place that you feel like you can't relate to. Them. And again, even sometimes those people, sometimes those people can I want to say hit harder, but they get such high success, and all of a sudden. Also, more things are open to them. They, you know, they have big friends, and also rambling right now. But I think I'm just kind of highlighting the fact that no matter where you are in life, I think we all need people to talk to, and we all need someone to do it, express ourselves. And you meet your birth as a parent, a stranger, and and has that I guess strategy of talking to people, and being more compassionate, and kind of being in relationship with them, as opposed to just offering services for them to do whatever with. Have you seen a more increase of people becoming, I guess, less, well, not no less successful, but people actually taking more steps to either um, try to regain a career or regain whatever or move forward? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, one of the, there's a couple of things that we always measure this stuff by is um, there's, there's two basic things that anybody needs. They need a place to live and they need dependable income. And the best kind of dependable income is money earn. Um, you know, not all of our 
uh, people are in a place where they can earn an income, but for those that, that can, uh, it's, it's better for them to earn an income than to be on some sort of government supports, and, and we understand that. And so, you know, what we've seen is more of our people begin to move into one of those two things, either uh, a desire for housing um, and a desire to maintain their housing, um, and then the second thing is a desire to have some sort of income that they earn. And sometimes it may even be supplementary, you know, they're on, they're on H yeah. um, and they can earn a little bit of money over and above H and we'll put them in an employment program that allows them to do that. And that, um, that's very helpful to the psyche, Yeah. right? It's like, you know what, at, at the end of the day, I, I earned this. Uh, we were we were created to work. The purpose that uh, we're not created to, to sit around. And uh, work is good. Work is healthy. And so whenever somebody can say to us, you know, like I'm willing to work, can you help me find a job? That's us as exciting. And we also understand this, again, there's lots of people that aren't able to do that, and and that's okay too. Um, but for those that that are able, there's actually some. So, yeah. And for your employment programs, I think I read something about you trying to match match a job if you can with that best fits their experiences, their skill sets, and and for the people who maybe aren't as eager to work or cannot, um, you see a large a distinction of them because uh, there's some people who spend their own age, so yeah. for certain reasons that they cannot they couldn't help, they have to live with it now. Um, do you see um, people who maybe who aren't graduated can work or don't want to work? Do you see them? You know that portion still want to have housing, or is it more? Is there still like a large portion who maybe because of the community factor still kind of almost want to be? Yeah, it's it's always both ends. So our goal is to move a group of people, um, and the group of people that are content, um, you 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 want to make sure that they know that if discontent occurs, you're there ready and about. And, uh, but in the same time, love them where they're at, love them at their point, right? We understand there's a reason why they're feeling the way they're feeling, and that's what our job is to make sure that when they're ready uh, for transformation, that we're there to help questions and ask people. And you don't want to have a respect for most people or everyone, unless they're also despicable. There's certain outliers, of course, but have a level of respect for them. We don't have to like and respect them, care for them, because we're all, in a sense, we're all here on this in Canada together. Whether it is our choice or not, certain we're all here together, and I think Canada, um, I think we we do a good job for the most part. Obviously, we can always improve, but we're a, a, I think we as a country, and I think also Edmonton is a is a huge community. So I think we do, from my perspective, we do a good job trying to take care of one another. Also, can be more, but yeah. And I guess where do you see mustard seed going this currently? Because as you, as we discussed, um, mentioned there was at the, at the initial um, start of COVID, the lockdown. As you mentioned it was uh, about fourteen percent yeah. new homelessness um, on people who had never experienced homelessness. And I guess as a mustard seed, and I and you can correct me if wrong if there is a maybe upper trend of homelessness currently because of the run of uh, CERB and the uh, rent block. Whatever. Yeah. What do you see, um, first of all, do you see an uh, increase in homelessness? And second, how do you see, I guess, the mustard seed kind of try to take that on and either, um, I guess, was it flatten the curve, so to speak, as everyone's saying, or even uh, uh, have a decline? Yeah, so there's a few things that we're, we're doing. Um, 
Our, our shelter program is only through the winter. We're running it all year round now. Um, so that's a shelter that we have on the south side of, of Edmonton. Um, so there's, there's that. The second thing is very um, going to be very intentional about our housing team that works with individuals that are homeless to find um, housing. Uh, works with people that hit that shelter. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, if you arrive at that shelter, you're um, you're going to meet with somebody, you're going to work with someone who is going to try to help you find housing. Um, at least that's that's the intention behind that. Um, the other thing that I think is absolutely key is our employment program. Again, it's a, it's housing, it's, it's income. And so how do we um, create work opportunities, work connections, what kind of employment contracts will the federal government uh, be giving out? Um, and can we uh, take advantage of any of those to help some of our citizens here in Edmonton that perhaps uh, are needing a job, that have skills, that, that are motivated to work, and uh, how do we help them find a job? So those are sort of the, the main things. It's, it's, it's focusing on that shelter piece mm-hmm. um, so that everyone has a place to go. And then the next focus is anyone who lines in the shelter that is interested in housing, we work diligently with them to find that housing as fast as we can. And then the third thing is, um, what do we do around employment to help people find jobs? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And in regards to jobs, is there a, a program which, is there maybe an educational program which you educate some of people to maybe, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, just a transition to a different career path? So say if they're maybe in, let's say, carpentry, became homeless, yeah. and obviously technically there's certain jobs are decreasing in jobs, certain sectors are increasing in jobs, do you at all? Ever say tell someone, hey, you know, by the way, like the chance of you getting the particular job that you were trained for is very minimal. Why don't we do this? Is there a program set for that, or is there? So we we have a, we call them employment coaches that work with everybody um, as individuals to help them either do what you say, which is like, okay, you know, like yeah, you're trained in this, that that job is drying up, um, but there's jobs available in this. Let's see what we can find for training for you, that kind of thing. So um, that is one part of what we do. Um, that can be very helpful. Um, sometimes it's a, a company connection that we have that you know will say that you know blank you know is going to hire somebody that has the skills you're looking for, and we'll try to make that connection to help you at least get an interview. We'll prep you for the interview. We'll help you with your resume. All those kinds of things. And then the second part of it is contracts themselves that are for maybe are unskilled. Mm-hmm but do want to work. So one of the contracts that we have is with uh, Old Strathcona um, Business Association and uh, we clean up garbage along White Ave and we hire our um, clients to do that. And so, you know, that's that unskilled part uh, of, of work too, where people that don't have skills but do want to earn a little bit of money. That's incredible. I, I never knew Layers Energy has, has done so much and does so much and it's absolutely incredible that we do have a service, I mean, multiple services, the help of the people who are struggling. And do you find, I guess, either any, I guess, barriers or how you found any barriers? Um, you mentioned also the community factor of people, when communities exist, but the community factor of the whole, people being homeless, the people being complacent in that. But do you see, um, or have seen any other barriers that there would be either, say, on a government level where certain funding programs were either eliminated that can be your guys' ability to help them? And, yeah, I mean, there's always there's always government um, issues may seem like, like so. I mean, you know, I'll give you a, um, 
I, I, I think a pretty, it's probably not a safe example, but I'll go with it. You know, the previous provincial government um, really invested heavily into safe consumption sites. Um, the provincial government is wanting to redirect a lot of that money to recovery. Yeah. Um, the, the problem is, is that um, in my mind, this isn't a choice, it's a continuum. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to keep people alive. So that way, when they come, they choose it, yeah. but they need the recovery uh, options funded to be in place so that way um, they have to go immediately. I mean, that window of somebody saying, I want to recover instead, I want to get clean instead, is a small, small window. Yeah. And it's like, we have a space for you, but it's going to be in four months. You're, you've lost them. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be like in four minutes. And so, um, you know, we as history are affected by this, mm-hmm. um, the, these decisions, and we're affected by the previous government's decision, or maybe could be affected by the current government's decision, and of how this is redirected. And really, it, it needs to be, both need to be adequately funded. 100%. Right? And so things like that happen all the time. Right, um, and some would say it's a it's a difference of philosophy or between governments or whatever. And actually, what it really comes down to, I think, is mostly a um, there is a philosophical bent, but there's also just a financial consideration. Yeah, governments are going can't do everything, and so we're going to pick the thing that we think is best. Yeah. And then the, phil- the philosophical thing kicks in as to what is best. And I'm going, well, you're 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 picking between two things that have to have equal stature. Yeah. Like, don't choose, exactly. right? And so, um, choose both. And governments tend not to choose both. There's only so many resources to go around. And of course, over the next couple of years, that's going to get even more difficult. Um, our governments are running big deficits, they have large debts, and they can't possibly continue to fund all of this without a massive uh, taxation on the people, and we can't afford the taxation. No. So, now what? Yeah, it brings up an interesting topic because before, as you make, uh, before we were doing pretty well, we probably imagine we could have before this, um, especially in Alberta, um, compared to other provinces, not nothing against other provinces, but Alberta, from my perspective, I always tell people, like, no matter what the weather is, like, at least at Edmonton, we never sleep. People are in their trucks, they're going to work. Yeah. And so there's plenty, of, I'll say money, especially in Alberta with oil, and a lot of money that could be and could have been used. As you mentioned, both sides of the recovery and the initial stages to help someone instead of just hey, I'm ready to help them in this section. We're now ready to come um, get my life on track. You mentioned small money window, and it is unfortunate. Um, you know, again, I'm not too knowledgeable about on, on politics yet, but I know every different NDP, uh, liberal, conservative, different platforms, and again, it's like based on your political spectrum and where you lie. It's like what, but at the end of the day, I believe if you're a government for the people and you want people to succeed, whereas a liberal conservative, you should look at well, what's this boost the economy for jobs? Well, it helps people who are in uh, no issues currently, or maybe who again don't have homelessness, plus the mental health issues, plus yeah. trying to find a job. What's well, really going to only really helps a certain poor population addressing and I think it is unfortunate that now. Deficits. People are either um, racked up. Um, like for example, I saw the gentleman was one trades tradesperson. He had one truck, and I think it was his like third or fourth new double. For the one truck, he was hundred grand. For the one truck, no kids or whatever, because you got a bells and whistles. 
big brand, you can get a, a Porsche Virginia, not Porsche 911 Virginia. So it's, um, it says the manufacturers, and now it's, yeah, what we guess we now have side again. Do you have, I guess, thoughts of ways to navigate through this? Well, for me, like, um, to, um, and my justice people won't like this term, but it's a job is to create wealth to become money and to be prosperous. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't matter who they are. So it's not wealth for the wealth. You know, middle class, lower middle class, um, upper middle class opportunity for people to have prosperity and then to make sure that those who are poor and impoverished or living on the poverty line can move in as fast as they can. Okay, so that's, that's wealth creation. The second job is to then tax at an appropriate level mm-hmm. um, the income that people are earning. Um, we need taxes. We need to pay for stuff. 100%. And so you got to tax it at an appropriate level. We're in all conversation as to whether our federal and provincial governments are taxing at an appropriate level. But they have to tax. Then the third thing is, is to redistribute tax in a way that helps vulnerable citizens get the care that they need and to create a social structure so that everyone has a basic level of um, education, of health care, of income, of housing, and all those sort of things. So to reinvest it appropriately. So I have yet to see a government in my lifetime that has done all three of those things well. Um, I would argue that there's been a couple of moments in time, as, and I'm just talking as a Canadian, yeah, that we've had either a prime minister or a premier get really, really close. Like really, really close, and and by close I mean like probably hit it out of the park for two, three, four years, but not for a sustained length of time. Who's I guess been your your premier and I guess prime minister? Who you personally think? Yeah, I was trying to dodge that. So that's a, if you don't, it's all good. <laughs> I think I think I think I think Harper under a minority government did really well. Yeah, I think as when um, the majority of the last four years, not as well. Um, and um, so, yeah, and really when we saw that under Harper was 2008, when the whole thing crashed. Mm-hmm. And he did the opposite of what everyone thought he would do. And instead of cut, he actually took number three in Canada, which then created the wealth, which then grew the tax base, so that we ended up, you know, with uh, a surplus at some point. He turned that around really, really quick. I thought it was actually quite, quite smart of him. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little, a little young for this, um, but I, I know enough about how Lahid ran the province um, to know that even though I was like a little kid when he was a, he was premier, yeah. I know he did those three things really, really well. Um, in fact, brilliantly. Um, I would also argue, um, and I didn't recognize this at the time, but in hindsight, Crutchian did a really good job with those three things too for, for, for a window of time as well. I mean, those are, those are three, I, I, and, and they're from three different parties, so this isn't a partisan thing. Yeah. Um, I just, I, you know, it seems like all of our governments either, are, they, they either focus on the tax thing, mm-hmm. especially conservative governments, we got to get taxes more, we got to get the more. And that gets a lot of people hooked on those It gets a lot of people hooked, right? Um, or you get the odd conservative government that is really, really interested in what's um, creation. Um, and then you get a, a center or center left um, party government that really is only interested in the third thing, which is the investment in the social infrastructure is important. But if they don't get things number one and number two right, they can't do the thing number three without running a massive debt. Yeah. 
And so this, this is this is the concept. Yeah, it's the dev, it's like almost it's like a circle almost where you can't have one with the other. You want to have you want to reinvest into the economy, into the, the citizens, and to people who are in not in such a good place become to a place where they can have jobs, or housing. Obviously, that stimulates the economy, which creates wealth. And then wealth was the second one. Apologize. Uh, taxes, taxes. Yeah. So yeah. We lower taxes or keep the taxes the same and keep the same. Then again, the wealth has evaporated pretty yeah. much. And it's always increase the taxes. Yeah. Tax increases aren't always a bad thing. No. If it's if it's for the right reasons and, yeah. and implemented in the right way. Hundred percent. I think that's something because again, people here we have a bit more taxes and they freak out. Freak out. But then I think also they will. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, how we need to do better of just explaining and more definingly kind of explaining where these taxes are going to and you know, how actually have a plan in place almost before they kind of just come up and say, hey, we're going to raise taxes and people, what do you mean? And they always say it's going to go to this, but it's like if they have more specific examples of how maybe higher taxes have helped in the past and certain programs, I think people have, uh, I guess, a more understanding, be less. I don't want to say emotional, but I guess less up in arms about higher taxes. And yeah. I think we definitely need those platforms, more platforms. You know, news is great. Nothing is good. It's hard to really get a sense of who someone is about in you know, like a five minute clip and a split screen. And obviously, video, it lags, people are cutting each other off. And the Canadian debate last election, we're the most polite. It's boring. I cannot watch a Canadian debate. We're so, oh, yeah, you go. Nice points. It's like, oh, wow. We're actually points across. You watch the states, and not only anyone says anything, but it's like, oh, this person sucks. Well, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a little, that's a little different. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess what time is it here? Good. We got a bit of time. It's perfect. So, and yeah, I guess, I guess, go on the. Uh, I guess because I guess a lot of these programs have to with, I guess a lot of I want to say a lot but funding for sure and I, I shouldn't dive into politics myself a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I just thought that I have no clue what Canada is all about. We learned a bit so, yeah. and I'm just reading a book called the King Constitution. It's only about 200 pages. We're, I enjoy it so far but from what I've seen the, the way the Senate is set up is it was set up in a country in 1860, 1867, yeah, it was yeah. British North America Act, and it was sentence were based on four regions, North, South, Canada, which was Ontario and Quebec. Now, it's 2020, a lot more population in the West than 1867, but the political, I guess, spectrum and political system is, hasn't really evolved with the times, and in my opinion, for a little more to do about politics in Canada is, I think, because again, uh, I was speaking to someone last election, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't really follow with any of these people, but people are so afraid of voting for sometimes what they believe in because it's a waste of a vote. And yeah. that's unfortunate. We're, yeah. I think we need a bit more people and maybe independents than the current parties to see what can happen. Yeah, um, I, I think ideally you're right. I think pragmatically it'll never happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I mean, it's just, and, you know, I think, you know, from, uh, again, an outsider's observation is probably the, the one of the single most um, discouraging things um, is the heightened partisanship. Uh, I think uh, social media has really reinforced that. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've been on, on and I follow certain politicians. You've got to be careful what you post for sure. Yeah. But, you know, I saw there was this um, 
provincial cabinet and I don't want to say which one it was because I'm not sure which one it was, but she uh, posted her daughter's art. And the comment was, you know, politics aside, so proud of my kid. This is what she painted today, however it was phrased. And it was very much, it was a mother to daughter kind of thing, right? You know? And so I, uh, I decided to read the comments because I was curious as to how it would react. And it, and it was all just going after her for cutting this, doing that, you know, being this. Being, I mean, it was ugly. It was ugly. And like, she's, she's not talking policy here. She's posting her kids' art. And we have um, we've dehumanized our politicians and called it acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, we've decided that if we don't like somebody's politics, we can treat them however disrespectfully we want because, well, they're bad people and, um, you know, the large majority of these folks are good people that are doing what they think is the right thing yeah. for the right reason. Right. Um, even when I find them very, very misguided or wrong, um, I don't, uh, the, the judgment of hearts um, that is happening amongst the political in the political realm is is just really hard to watch. Yeah, and um, it's really sad to watch. And you see that heightened partisanship and how ugly it is. And it's and, and you know I, I find it always amusing when um, I see one political party try to claim the high ground. Yeah, on it, <laughs> and it's like you're all you're all awful. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that. Uh... One quarter from the Bible is let he or, or I think he said he will let they or whoever cat, uh, cast for stone or is it yeah. let he without yes. sin cast for stone sorry yeah. and it's the same thing it's like well we all kind of make mistakes whether it be big or small and so it's like but again the bipartisanship and now social distancing and social media and you only see I believe what you're interested in anyway, so it creates a bit further divide. It does. Most people don't follow or read stuff that is counter to what they already think or believe. Um, there's a, sorry, there's a yeah. great app I just discovered. I haven't researched, I haven't looked yeah. at it yet, but it's called Ground News, and it uh, basically gets news from, say, thousands of news sources from around the world, from all political spectrums. They're not sponsored, but hey, Ground News, if you want to sponsor me, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> wouldn't mind. But then the thing that also has a bias counter and then your own bias counter. So once you create an account, you can actually see on like a scale what your bias is. As you, and, they, and I think that's what it is. Because again, you go on this network, nothing wrong, but then they're obviously geared towards maybe a certain political spectrum versus this. And then that's how they kind of challenge the news. And then as you mentioned, um, I think it's more so social media. It's like the dehumanization that if you don't like something, and again, especially now, if you look back at history, it is that it is a dangerous thing to dehumanize people and create this huge divide because it can lead to horrific things as we've seen in the past. Yeah. Even though people may not connect the dots, but you know, we um, back in Nazi Germany, Hitler dehumanized the Jewish people, created a huge divide, and whatever happened, also the Holocaust happened. But now a lot of those people from that era are gone and a lot of people are forgetting about that and it's almost like another swing and and the dehumanization I think it doesn't help the homelessness at all because I think people again the dehumanization we they may not like homeless people some people might not have a thing like fire oh, homeless like 
get your life together. And then again, the dehumanization is like, I'm not going to give it to you or give this. It's like, you got to pull yourself by the bootstraps and, or your homeless or beneath me. Some people might have that point of view as well. And, uh, well, we, and we do, I mean, and you know, we do tend to have a bit of a, of, of a savior and messiah complex when it comes to um, people that are especially vulnerable. You know, we, we, um, we, we see it as a transactional of me with all of my goodness that are coming to help out you with all of your problems. And um, that's not helpful. Um, it's just not. It's, it's again, you know, so how do, we, how do we come alongside with somebody? How do we see that we're actually all equal? That just because you have more stuff um, doesn't make you um, a better person. Um, you know, and, and, and there is lots of that. Um, I think some of that's starting to finally get broken down a little bit. Um, you know, that we're, we're starting to move more and more towards um, solidarity yeah. in our approach when it comes to homeless and poor. Uh, we, don't, we don't have it in other places. And, and again, I'd argue the, the political world has no solidarity. Mm-hmm. But within, um, within different pockets of social economical differences, we're starting to see more solidarity. And so that's, that's really encouraging. I, I hope that continues and we continue to move in that direction. Stay with me. And- I think as we come together and and regardless of the differences, help each other out. And I think we have to go back to the understanding, not just um, get kind of, hey, let me help you and let me build you a house. When all all the person wanted was is a friend, is someone to talk to. And not saying the house isn't bad, but again, have that understanding and compassion. And let's, hey, let's 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 do this together. Almost like a personal trainer training someone who's unfit, trying to feel, hey, let's do this together. I'm going to be alongside you. I'm going to coach you through this. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I think we uh, definitely need more compassion and understanding. And I guess for people who want to learn more about the mustard seed or, or yourself personally, where could people go to get more information? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our website, the seed.ca, is, is obviously you know, where I first point people. Um, it's always good to do just a bit of a deep dive on in Google too. You know, one of the things that you can look, look at is what does it cost for somebody house? For example, we us money to pay for someone who's keeping on the streets. And so, you know, those are some of the things that I, I really encourage people to do. Um, the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness Organization that we're reaching out and uh, go visit their website as well. Well, Dean, it was a pleasure having you here today. I, I, I enjoyed my time with you today. I've learned a ton about what you do and what you're about. And, you know, definitely I'd love to have you back on and get into other things. Excellent. Thanks for having me here. Okay, thanks, Dean. Take care.